This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, alaikum, welcome to another episode of Headscarfs and Good Yarns. I hope everyone has been keeping well since the last time I sat down and recorded a wee episode for you. Again, it's just me writing solo, but I have lots of good things to get stuck into for this episode, so hopefully you don't mind my voice for the next 54 minutes. Um, the first thing that I wanted to sit down and talk about um, was this book that I've been reading recently, and it's called The Levers. Um, it's a book by Lisa Ko, and it is so... It, first of all, it's written... It's beautifully written, Um but it just speaks so well to the migrant experience and reading it has just it's honestly been quite healing um reading this book I think different like what happens in this book is very different to like what's actually happened in my life but I think it touches on several themes that I'm like oh that hits home and I think it offers another way to another lens to view the migrant experience so yeah the book is called the levers and um literally one morning Deming yeah I think I'm saying his name right you know when you just you read a book and you don't actually say the words out loud so hopefully I'm saying this right if I'm not please correct me um so the main character is this child called Deming Guo Um, And his mother, Polly, is an undocumented Chinese immigrant, um, goes to her job, like goes to work and never comes back. And no one can find any trace of her. Um, He's expecting her to come back home and she never does. So he's left by himself with his um, auntie, uh, auntie in quote marks, because I don't think it's like blood related auntie, but you know. In ethnic families, everyone's an auntie and an uncle. Um, so he's left with his auntie and cousin. And she can't really um, afford to keep him. So puts him up for adoption. And he is renamed Daniel Wilkinson. And is adopted by a pair of well-meaning white professors. And, um, yeah, the book kind of is about him growing up and then we switch the point of view um to his mother and um it's so yeah heartbreaking I think from a human point of view not just from the migrant experience um it does a wonderful job of kind of retelling you know how do you learn to live with the mistakes that you've made and how do you you know, like there, you read Polly's story and, you know, what she does, it hurts Deming slash Daniel a lot and it's changed the rest of his life forever. And I think he felt abandoned as a child and now that he's grown up into this young man, he still feels that sense of abandonment. It's kind of grown up with 
not a huge amount of direction. Um, but I think from Polly's point of view, life was not easy for her and she had all of these things kind of against her systematically. And at that time, she thought that was the best decision. So I think it's it's a book that kind of gives a good example of, like, is there really such thing as good or bad? Um, I mean, things, decisions are made and there will be consequences for it definitely either positive or negative or somewhere in between. Um, But I feel like the world is not as black and white. Um, Yeah, the world is definitely not as black and white. Um, So that was interesting from like the human experience point of view. Um, But from the migrant experience, um, I think it illustrates the link between mental health and identity and I think this is something that I've spoken about on the podcast before um talking about what does mean what does a mental health conversation look like for um people of color and for our migrants and refugees and it looks so different because the first thing that we're always grappling with is our identity and who the heck are we and especially when the world isn't um made for us like in in the book Deming when he is with his mother it's very clear that they don't have a lot of money um they are really living paycheck to paycheck and um but he's still with his mum he's still with um his family he still feels connected to his language and like it is a safe place despite the lack of financial resources I suppose and then you see once he gets adopted and he's surrounded by you know anything and everything a child could need um his new adopted parents yeah very lot yeah very well-meaning um but yeah they it seemed like they had all the money in the world from Deming's point of view and he could just ask and would simply be able to have anything in his hands it seemed like um but not having that identity there was a huge struggle for him and that feeling of being out of place and not feeling at home in his new home um, because his his parents had no idea how to really connect with him and they tried really hard like there was there was a lot of um, good intentions but the same assumptions were made that are always kind of made in terms of taking him to um you know, taking him to, like, Chinese takeaways and then telling him, oh, you must be so happy to be reminded of food that that you get back home. And, of course, it's not authentic food, but, you know, that would they thought that would be enough. And there was another time, a language barrier, so he doesn't speak Mandarin. It starts with F, I just don't want to say it incorrectly um but the dialect that he speaks is not mandarin and um his parents tried to learn mandarin and kind of 
minimalize his reaction when he gets upset that they're not acknowledging that there is different dialects and it is a different language um and again well meaning they did try to connect with him on that language point of view but <sighs> those connections to his identity which he's once so easily accessed is now gone and the attempts of his parents to form those connections again well meaning but misplaced and I think that caused more damage than it did any good because you know there's this continual theme of not fitting in and not belonging and as he develops into a human as he goes from a child to a young adult you can see how that affects his um, direction in life his purpose his sense of well-being um all of these big life things that if which are really foundations right if you don't have these things then it's really hard to move live in this world I feel like um and for a lot of people who come from the majority um that is a privilege to have because your identity will never ever be questioned you most places in this world will feel like home because the world is kind of set up for the majority um the risk of feeling alienated is really low the risk of having your existence um not denied um and marginalized is also very very low um, because the world kind of accepts who you are or your identity is never not, you know, your identity is, the identity is never validated from someone who has that, um, who comes from the majority, that will, yeah, never ever question. And in saying that, I'm I'm not saying that every person who comes from, the majority has an easy life. I recognize that life is very complex and we all come from it at different, um, we live life with different identities. It's not just our race, but it's our um, sexuality. It's our religious beliefs. It's all sorts of things, right? Like humans are complex. We don't live life from one single axis, but at least that, but that access of identity will never be questioned. And you can see how, not just in Deming's life, but in most lives where identity isn't grounded, there is a huge mental health um, problem. And yeah, it's something that I've spoken about before on the show as well. Um, how I've I really grappled with my sense of identity and I perhaps I didn't really talk about it too much with my mental health but um, I've noticed that you know there's still a way to go and I think I'm still on that journey um, with my identity but 
you know, when it was really bad um, and when I felt this clash, I suppose, with the New Zealand culture and um, the Somali culture, my mental health wasn't great and my sense of who I was wasn't great. Like, I was always really anxious, always scared to take up space, always doubting myself, um, feeling really lost because I felt like I didn't belong in either camps and I think that hindered my development as a human because I was never confident in myself. I I think I internalised the racism and so that resulted in a lot of negative self-talk um yeah it was just horrible carrying around that feeling like I couldn't take up any space and you know I was super harsh on myself because I felt like the world was super harsh on me and oh gosh poor little Amal (laughs) if I could go back in time and give her a big hug that's all she really needed but um yeah I definitely just yeah really related to that and 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 I haven't finished the book yet but in the book he's in the throes of that journey so I hope he gets to that stage where you know he's defined for himself what where his identity lies I think that's what helped me a lot um but I think what would have taken the onus off me growing up so I could have had a better well-being, a sense of well-being if the world didn't make me feel as if I didn't belong. And I think it's getting better. Like my younger siblings, um, they have a stronger sense of identity and I see how that translates in their, their purpose in life and how they present themselves, how they're developing into young men. Um, And I see, yeah, I see the difference, but yeah, definitely is a connection between your sense of well-being and identity. And I think um, adding another layer to it, when you're coming from the other end, so when people um, are trying to access mental health services um it seems like the surface level symptoms are always kind of taken care of but not the bigger picture problems that kind of contributed to it I think what would be important is if we had more preventative um actions in in our mental health services. So for um, the POC community, that would include creating safe places for um, POC community to not have their identity marginalised and questioned. It would be um, accepting the diversity. It would be um, building systems that have more cultures and experiences and struggles in mind rather than the majority um I think we need to look at things more holistically when we're talking about um mental health 
Um, so that was a huge theme that kind of came through for me. And another theme that came through, um, kind of touching upon what I was talking about before, about, you know, you can't, yes, there are decisions that are made that are, have like huge impacts, whether it's negative or positive, but we need to look at not just the decision, but the decision, the person and the context. Because um, I think a lot of people would read, I don't know how actually, that's a general bold assumption of me, but you know, there might be some people who read this book and think, oh my God, how could this mum just up and go and leave her son? Um, but you read the book and you kind of can pick up on all the systematic things that are working against her and how some things are just so out of her control um, that is that decision to leave her son she thought was the best at the time and I think this sense of understanding is what's really missing when we talk about like the migrant experience the refugee experience um the tongue to experience there is a huge misunderstanding and i think people there's this tendency to like radicalize people you know people are either horrible they're the bad guys they're the ones that are you know stealing the jobs and um reduce like taking away from the economy like all these sorts of things right people are put into these labels and boxes and they once they put into these boxes it's like their character right and this character has does xyz things they uh they represent bad they represent evil they represent i don't know all these sorts of things um and life doesn't work like that we need to like to prevent us from playing into stereotypes and um, playing into these characters and just looking at outcome, decision, what character does is this person in the story, I think we need to take the time out to understand each other more and figure out, well, this is what's what's happening in this person's world and this is what their experience is actually like. We need to humanize people more um, so we can understand their actions or we can understand where people are coming from. It's never as um, clear-cut as you think. There's always something that you don't know. There's always another kind of pressure right in their life that perhaps we don't have that's resulted in the way that they see the world or experience this world um we just don't know and that kind of leads me to the next thing that I want to talk about on the show for today which is the power of asking questions the right way um I think it's really really important to ask questions right um I went out to dinner the other day and you know my sister and I have a young sister she's four years younger than me and we look pretty similar I think people look at us and they're like oh are you are you guys related how are you guys twins um and it's we look so similar people will come up to either of us people that we haven't met and think it's the other sister and start yarning away most of the time I correct people and say oh, I think you're thinking about my sister um 
but sometimes <laughs> I really can't be bothered explaining. I just kind of go with it and, you know, pretend to be Suggle. Then after, when when I next catch up with Suggle, I'll be like, oh, by the way, this person said this and that. Because um, <laughs> sometimes I just don't have the patience to explain. But that only really happens, like, maybe once or twice a year where I do that. Not all the time. Um, but anyways, we look very, very similar. So people... Um, assume that we are family Um, and yeah we went out to dinner and met people who didn't know us before and one girl was like oh are you guys sisters and I thought she was joking because this has happened so many times where I thought someone seriously has asked me are we sisters and I'm like oh yes this is my sister she's four four years younger blah 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 and they're like obviously you guys are related I'm just asking um, to state the obvious and I'm like oh right and so I thought it was that situation happening again um, and I'm like oh ha 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 very funny and she wasn't laughing and I was like oh are you seriously asking and she's like yep <laughs> I have to just because you cannot assume anything like um, she was saying you know I am a teacher so I see all sorts of things and I am a brown girl who's a whose parents are white you know so you just really can't assume anything and um I thought that was a very like valid point I was like oh that's so cool um yes we are sisters and um I was just kind of asking her have you always thought this way and then she's like look the way that I see it is you either assume and you work off your assumptions, which may lead to some regrettable things said, or you just be straight up and ask. And that if you ask with good intent um, and it being as polite as possible, people most um, more than you think people will be happy to tell you exactly how it is, and you never have to work with assumptions and you work with facts. And, um, I think when she said that, I thought, oh, wow, that's actually, that's a fantastic thing to say. And the thing that I loved about it the most was the way she pointed out that if you ask, um, politely and matter, but still matter of factly, then most people will be willing to tell you exactly how it is. And I think the, one of the biggest barriers to, asking questions into understanding people more um, is the fear of asking it the wrong way or the fear of causing more offense offense sorry or harm and I think if you have good intentions and you're asking the right way or asking politely people appreciate that then they have the precedence, the power is given to them to tell you exactly how it is rather than someone coming in and assuming. Um, And I think if you're scared of making mistakes, then we we just got to push past that feeling, right? I think you know for yourself why you're wanting to ask that question or what is it that you're wondering I think in my personal experience, sometimes people ask questions and you can tell that they're not genuinely um, asking it for the right reasons. It's like I've had it so many times that people ask me a question but then, and I answer, but then they 
already have this answer that they have in their head um and so i'm not too sure why why they asked maybe them asking was an invitation to share their what they think the answer is um and yeah there are other things that have happened that have made me go hmm like they were not asking from the right place you even if it comes out the wrong way i can tell and i think other people might say this as well even if people ask the right way you can most tell definitely tell what someone's intention is and you don't learn by living with assumptions or the or you don't learn by the fear of making mistakes holding you back from asking questions i think we have to get used to the fact that you know to get to where we need to get to as a society we will just have to push past those uncomfortable feelings we have to push past those mistakes together we have to we just have to ask questions there's no room to kind of work with assumptions when if we have the compassion and the understanding and the right intention to ask the questions to work with the facts you know work with people's lived like lived with experiences rather than assumptions and fear of making mistakes and not doing anything at all that in action is actually the energy that's kind of upholding these systems which um, work at a disadvantage to a lot of our marginalized communities um, where if we took the time out to ask questions from each other and be bold to not live with assumptions I think that's the energy that would dismantle these said systems that are currently existing and you know a question that I get asked a lot is you know how can I um how can I be an ally how can I um how can I be better do better and I think the first the first thing that you can do and the easiest thing that you can do is not live with assumptions and be bold to ask questions um asking questions the with the right intention um is so powerful i was nearly going to say the power of asking questions the right way but then i don't want to instill the fear of making mistakes because life is messy you know it's not going to be perfect um but I think if you have the right intention, then you are heading in the right place, um, heading in the right place. So, yeah, the power of asking questions is is amazing. And I think if you are interested in your anti-racism journey, it doesn't even have to apply to um, racism. I think I need, to, like, for example, for me personally, I need to be a better um ally for the queer community for me personally there's still a lot that I need to um, understand and learn and um, let go of assumptions I'm yeah just being very frank and honest here you know probably some of my past actions have been hurtful but I like I don't know and I think it's because I've been living with assumptions um and I need to utilize the power of asking questions more. Um, 
so it's not just for you know anti-racism journey it's your anti-everything journey you know the power of asking questions and um not living with assumptions so go forth and ask questions always be curious stay curious um pair that asking of questions with that understanding that life is complex right and we need more understanding of each other um choices are not made in black and white life is not lived in black and white um there are so many different shades that if you don't see it is very very easy to play into um this the stereotypes um so always stay curious, always stay understanding and always ask questions. I think that's the best thing that um, allies can do. And the next thing that I think allies can do and kind of beautifully leads into a good segue, sorry, into the next topic um, is talking about um, performative activism, how easy is it for someone to care and how does that link up with the treaty so um Waitangi Day has come and gone and um I on a personal level that weekend I just kind of dipped out from everything that was happening Waitangi Day um just because I I needed a break from life during that time and so I'm not too sure what the conversations were like on the Waitangi grounds or um what yeah what the community was thinking but I've been catching up post Waitangi day to kind of read and see the photos and read what people were saying and it almost feels like deja vu just a little bit I feel like we're having the same conversation again and I don't know how I feel about that to be honest um yeah it just feels like another year has come and gone and quite a significant year actually last year um not just because of um COVID but because the Black Lives Matter movement really took off and I think that conversation um took off in New Zealand as well what does you know, what does it look like in New Zealand specifically? Um, and then last year, the Royal Commission's inquiry about the Christchurch attack, um, their report also came out. So all all these things that were happening in the identity space, um, talking about our race relations in New Zealand. And then Waitangi Day rolls around this year and just me catching up with everything that's happening it just it feels like we are having the same conversation that we did as well you know the year before that and then the year before that and I just it makes me scratch my head a lot because if we're having similar conversations again and again how are we going to get anywhere and I think this and and what I realized as well while I was kind of catching up with everything is it's the same 
it's the same people who are saying the same things over and over again, right? People from marginalized communities saying we need to honor the treaty better. We need to um, make sure that our actions honor the treaty. Um, And it's not just people from marginalized communities saying that anyone who is um, an ally of the treaty, I've noticed that it's tangata whenua and tītiriti, people who are saying the same thing over and over again, but it's a small, like, select population saying the same thing over and over again. And then then there are the leaders who are also saying the same thing, but with a different undercurrent, right, that we need to honour the treaty, we need to work on our race relations. And then the general kind of anyone else and everyone else in between just silence I feel like um and so it makes me think that we all need to get on board with this conversation a lot more I think the people who are already thinking about the treaty and thinking about ways we can honor the treaty are doing that are thinking about that and have been doing that for a wee while um and then you know, our leaders have also been saying the same thing for a wee while as well. Um, but how do we get everyone else to kind of extend that conversation and not have that conversation as an annual thing? Um, but how do we have that conversation all year round to the point where we're, you know, saying something different the next Waitangi Day? And that kind of connects up with the performative activism that I've been noticing so you know when the Black Lives Matter movement really took off last year everybody was posting the black squares everyone was using that hashtag Black Lives Matter literally everyone Um, and then it all kind of died down and I don't really see that same energy, that same fever anymore. And I think this is where real life starts to creep in, right? People have jobs, people are studying, people are working, people are doing all sorts of things. And it seems like there's never enough time in the day um, to put some proper mahi into um, your anti-racism journey Um, but if we're having the same conversations over and over again clearly we're not shifting something something's not changing and like our level of care has to change it has to increase Um, we have to make more space um, to see the changes we want to see otherwise we will just keep on having the same conversations and I think this level of care it doesn't it's not only um the people who are really invested in it it has to be everyone because I think we we can see in front of our eyes what happens when it's just the same group of people um who are invested saying you know having that conversation again and again and again we honestly need everyone to be involved um otherwise nothing changes um and when i think about honoring the treaty i think about how you know i think everyone is like yes we obviously need to do 
we need to do better but how does that actually translate into our daily lives what does that look like for us how do we um, increase our level of care while still doing the other billion things that everyone seems to be invested in Um, and how do we bring everyone into that journey with us and what does that look like for our life in the context of our own lives and what does that look like outside of you know picking an argument with that person in your family who seems to have completely different views to you or having yarn to that friend who says you know things like oh well how come Maori people have scholarships like we work just as hard all these sorts of things right like I think being an ally doesn't mean picking um an argument with someone in your personal life that thinks completely opposite to you right um we need to increase our level of care in our day-to-day lives so it's not just a yearly thing um we need to increase our level of care so we're always constantly putting the work in um we need to find space within our busy lives to do the mahi that needs to be done um, because life will always be busy. It will always be busy. And I think that's a trap that I used to fall into. I think I'm still figuring out what that looks like now, but at least I have the awareness, right? I would always be like, oh, life is so... um, busy I will do xyz when I have the time but then I slowly realize that I don't have the time things will always be busy there will never be just a time in my life where I will have this abundance in um energy and time to myself so it's a matter of me figuring out what are my priorities and how do I make sure I show up for my priorities and this is where we need to push past that line of your level of care to make sure it is an actual priority Um, because if things if you only do things when it's in con- when a convenience for you then then it's not really caring it more falls under the performative activism so i think um you need to figure out that sweet spot of figuring out how can i you know juggle everything else that's going on but also find time for this because this is really important to me and again it's not going to be um perfect life is not perfect um there will be times where you truly won't have space for anything else and you know what that's fair enough because sometimes on this journey it's actually quite it can be quite traumatic um especially if you're 
like reliving traumas or you're being confronted with past actions like there's a lot of icky feelings to work through right so realistically you will need to take a break from time to time um, but that's when you need to have an honest conversation with yourself and say hey am I using this as um, an excuse to get out of the mahi or do I truly need a break for my heart and for my soul Um, and you will know people will know the answers for themselves I think as long as you're always kind and gentle and honest with yourself, you will always know. Um, but definitely, as a whole country, if we really want to honour the treaty and we want to be having different conversations when the next, when the future Waitangi days roll around, we all need to increase our level of care um, and not make it a convenient thing. It shouldn't be convenient all the time. Um, we need to carve the space and make it a priority and you know make sure we're always showing up for the work that needs to be done because if it's convenient and easy then true progress isn't happening um but I think yeah that was something that really came through strongly for me when I was kind of catching up on the coverage of Waitangi Day um Nothing seems to have changed and the people who are really active in the treaty space, their level of care is so high, right? They're, it's a huge priority in their life. Um, but we need to make sure that the baseline level of care of this whole country is increased, not that small um you know population that has a really high level of care and then you know shouting on top like metaphorically of course but shouting on the top of their lungs to get the rest of the country to also have the same conversations but it just falling on deaf ears when if the level of care was high enough it wouldn't fall on deaf ears it would fall on you know ears that were open and willing to understand so we can progress the conversation but right now there is no progress happening I feel like and yeah I think it's that level of care too many for a lot of people it's um too convenient and when it's too convenient the bar is too low Um, but we need to increase our level of care and the last thing that I want to talk about um, for this episode is something very personal. I usually, um, actually, I was just about to say, I like to keep my personal life um, to myself. But as I say that on this show, I feel like I've disclosed quite a lot about my life. Um, so it is personal. Um, but I recently got married which is very very exciting um I got Islamically married to um my now husband Arthur and um it was like the ceremony itself um was very humble and modest but uh, still a very special day so for those of you who haven't heard of Islamic uh, wedding it's called the nikah and um your marriage is validated and seen as legit um by the head of the mosque who was the sheikh and um yeah it was really nice um you know the husband-to-be asks for um the bride's father's um 
permission to marry the daughter and um yeah that was really nice and then the witnesses who kind of represent me um asked me if I'm happy with the arrangement and then yeah the certificate is signed and um it was followed by a beautiful sermon on marriage and relationships and yeah it was really really nice um and uh I think the reason why I'm sharing something so personal on this podcast is it's um it was a huge journey um to unite like two families together especially when Arthur and I come from different cultures and it's really hard navigating that space um really hard navigating that space and again kind of touching upon um what I was talking about before when I was talking about the levers we need more understanding of each other and and I think for me it was a huge journey and again and grappling between my two identities that I have because um, I think what I've been saying on the podcast is I you know, my journey of not feeling connected to my Somali side because of the racism, the external racism, and then the internal, um, the racism that I internalized, which made me feel like I'd feel like I didn't belong anywhere. Um, and then as I became older and grew up, I realized that I actually, I'm not this Kiwi girl that I tried to be this whole entire time. I cannot ignore my, my Somali side. I mean, she is part of me. Yeah, so I realized I couldn't leave her behind and, you know, feeling more acquainted and accepting the Somali side of me was amazing it felt like coming back home again and I felt more like me and then I feel like when big life things happen it kind of acts as a pressure (laughs) tests what you think you know about things so going through this journey of having two families come together when those two families come from completely different cultural backgrounds have been a huge test of who I am and um, my identity and again it was another big struggle Um, and and again I realized that I get to choose who I am I get to choose my identity and I think growing up identity was something that I didn't ascribe to me I thought that I found it in the external world and there would be this magical place where I would magically just feel at home and I would know that's that's what my identity is and since I've grown up I realized that it's not that easy (laughs) um and it's actually my sense of identity that power resides with me and I get to choose who it is and it's not just a place it's the my family it's 
um, my friends. It's the places that make me feel like home and the places and people and feelings that make me feel validated and okay to be who I am. And I'm in control of those things. I get to, you know, well, I don't get to pick my family, but I, I love my family and I choose them. Um, I choose my friends. I choose all the things that are nourishing to my, to my spirit. And that's where my identity is. That's who I am. Um, and, and I think that's knowing I choose where my identity is, is really what, yeah, what made this tumultuous period before the actual wedding day, um, it made the struggles easier to get through because, you know, even though those values and identities seemed clashing and it didn't seem like things were going to be all right at first, it was a pressure point. It was a test for how I understood my identity to be. And, um, and then I remembered again, actually I get to choose and I choose both and I choose to be me and this is me. Um, and then I realized life is always going to be testing you like this. You think you know something and then something big will happen that will retest actually how do you really feel about this what's your stance on this and um yeah it was just a really good reminder that actually um I get to I get to choose who I am every single day um I get to choose even if the values seem clashing or if things are not a straight line I still get to choose and um it's really nice to be reminded of that again and for other people tuning in I hope that also this story also acts as a reminder to you that you get to choose um who you are and even if the external world does not validate you you find it hard um to be yourself to figure out who you are in this external world the power lies within you um but I also I think it's important that um, we as a society hold the external world accountable um, to make sure that people feel like they can be whoever they want to be um, and not just make it a safe place for the majority, but a safe place for all experiences and and for everyone. Um, But more importantly, for everyone listening in and tuning into this, like you get to choose, right? No, no one should make you feel bad for doing things a particular way or seeing the world in a particular way. It is, um, it is your choice. It's your identity and you get to choose. Um, yeah. And, um, really excited to potentially do an episode in the future with Arthur and we can kind of talk about our experience being in, uh, you know, in a relationship with two different cultures, um, I think we've gone through a lot as a couple, and um, we've learned a lot uh, together. And um, yeah, it's not very often that you see an African woman and an 
Asian men together. Um, and I think the world is kind of just like, whoa, what the heck is <laughs> when they see us together too? Like, yeah, yesterday, um, I don't know, I, we were outside and I met Arthur and we greeted each other and the family who was walking past, I think the father just kind of did a double take because I didn't think he expected us to have um, a relationship like that. But, you know, I think stuff like that we're kind of used to. Um, but because we come from different cultures and um we're always having conversations about identity and how do we navigate it together as a couple. So, um, yeah, if you have any questions for Arthur and I, just hit me up on Instagram or flick me an email or send me a Facebook message. Um, we will do an episode together talking about our relationship with two different cultures. And um, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Remember the power of asking questions with the right intent because you're not always going to ask it the right way, but that's okay to make mistakes. And also thinking about what does honouring the treaty look like to you. Um, You will have to be very honest with yourself and think about, well, what is my level of care how am I going to increase my level of care what is a true barrier and what is a convenience barrier pushing past those and figuring out what resulting actions then will fit into your life I mean we're all juggling all sorts of things um, but I think it's really important that we take the time out for honoring the treaty and hopefully this time next year um when i make an episode on waitangi day um we're having different conversations and this energy um this level of care i will also be asking that question of myself and thinking about how i can weave that into the show more as well um yeah we all need to be having really honest conversations with um ourselves including me and again if you wanted to read the book that i uh spoke about a lot in this episode it's called the levers by lisa ko and yeah it is a beautiful book um written beautifully uh will bring up a lot especially if you are a child of a migrant um refugee um Yes, enjoy. Enjoy all the things. Remember all the things. Do all the things. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarves and Good Yarns or email us at headscarvesandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.